0: Well, today we begin a study through 1st Peter. So go ahead and open your Bibles up there 1st Peter chapter 1 And we'll go ahead and jump right on into verse 1 It says Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ now I'd like for us to pause right there just for a quick moment. Peter calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ, which indeed he was. Peter was first told about Jesus Christ by his brother, Andrew. In, first, uh, or in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So Peter is known to us in scriptures as Simon, Simon Peter, just plain old Peter or Cephas. Jesus gave him that nickname. Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus called him and his brother Andrew to be fishers of men. And today, I believe that we all have that calling in some way, shape, or form, the calling to capture the souls of men and women for the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. As Peter did in his life, we too are called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ which we will see as we study this book of Peter um, that Peter does indeed do that with this book and of course it's the work of the Holy Spirit through Peter but the gospel is spread through this book Um, the first book ever read to me by a man who um, shared the gospel with me was this book here of uh, first Peter so We see who Peter is, right? Then verse 1 continues and says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So right from the start, we see who the writer of the letter was and to whom he was writing. Peter, the author here, directs his letter to those he referred to as pilgrims. So what is a pilgrim? Well, the Greek word used there for the word pilgrim is the word, and I'll do my best on this word, but parepidamas, parepidamas, Okay, And the definition of that word, parepidamas, is one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the side of the natives. So that's what that word means. We've got it translated there into English pilgrims, right? But it's one who comes from a foreign country into a city or a land to reside there by the side of the natives. Now, of course, um, that's where we get our understanding of the men and women that founded our country. They were strangers to a new land that was already occupied by natives. So Peter here is writing to, to Jews that had been scattered from their homeland, and they were now dwelling in cities with the Gentiles. Let's turn to the Gospel of John, mark this page, and turn to John chapter 7. The Gospel of John chapter 7. And... Um, just as an added added bonus here, we'll read some extra scriptures. I really just wanna point out verse uh, verse 35 to you, but let's start reading in verse 28. It says, then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, you both know me and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priest sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So here... We also see the mention of the dispersion. You see, there were Jews that came to faith in Jesus Christ and due to persecution, they fled to the cities of the Gentiles. Peter mentions some of those cities as we turn back now to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter mentions there that in verse 1, the cities of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Of course, we know too that Paul wrote to the Jews that were in Galatia, right? Also, you can look at this on your own, but James in James chapter one addresses his letter. We just studied that recently, James chapter one, and James addressed his letter to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, he said. So it's important that we remember from the start here that this letter was originally primarily addressed to Jews that had came to faith in Jesus Christ. Peter here in verse 2 calls them elect. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So we know that God chose a group of people to bring the Savior of the world through. And also we know that the gospel message went first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. As you read the book of Acts, right off the bat you see that first of all, all of those gathered in the upper room before the Holy Spirit fell on them, they were all Jews and they went out into the street. And they preached the gospel to all the Jews that were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. And the Jews are God's elect. They are the ones that God chose to bring salvation to the world through. Some of that elect group of people believed and they received the gospel message and others rejected it even though they were chosen by God, that group of people, that the Savior would come through them. Some of them received him, and some of them rejected him. We see there in verse 2 that it is and was the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify a person, and a person is then to be obedient, and of course, all of this is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So even though the Jews were elect, they still had to come by faith and believe in Jesus Christ. Of course, the message went out to the Gentiles as well, right? You can read about it in Acts chapter 10. Peter took the gospel message to the home of an Italian man named Cornelius. And that's when the gospel began to spread to non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles. And of course, the gospel continues to spread throughout the world today, and we are beneficiaries of it. So, be, so Peter begins his letter here, and then in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, do you see the words begotten us again there in verse 3? That word again there is a word that means to be born again, born anew. You can look it up in the Greek. So Peter is saying here that we have been born again to a living hope. And that living hope came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead which, of course, we just studied last week, right? And verse three also tells us that God did all of this because of or according to his abundant mercy. Look, you can very easily take verse three there and make it the foundation of sharing the gospel with someone. God's abundant mercy gave us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, dead, and buried, but He rose again from the dead, which now gives us, like verse 3 says, a living hope. We are born again to a living hope when we come to Jesus Christ. And how do we get there? It's through the gospel message, okay? And we're gonna see that more as we go on here. So we've been born again. Then verse four says to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. So Peter here is pointing out that something so much better awaits us. We have an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance reserved for us in heaven. For now we have this hope as we walk by faith. Now, let me say that again. We have this hope as we walk by faith now, okay? And in verse 5 says who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so you've heard me say this before. Our salvation has not yet been revealed. That will take place in the last time or at the end of this time that we now spend here on this earth. But in the meantime, notice there in verse 5, it says that we are kept by the power of God through faith. We are kept by the power of God through faith. We've seen it time and time again as we went through the epistles of Paul. We must continue in the faith. We must hold fast our confession till the end. We must not waver in that faith. And as we do continue in that faith, we are then kept by the power of God. All right. Now, does anyone know what the power of God is? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Very familiar verse of scripture. Romans 1, 16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So again, the gospel went to the elect first, the Jew, and then it went to the Gentile, the non-Jew, referred to there as the Greek. Notice also there in verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, not to everyone on the earth. you see that? It's not the power of God to salvation to everyone on the earth, but very specifically, it says to everyone who believes. That's who the gospel is powerful to, to the ones that receive it and believe it. Again, the Jews, the elect, they rejected Jesus and many still do. And also we know that many Gentiles reject Jesus as well. But again, as we flip back now to 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes that we are kept by the power of God through faith. So we must continue in the power of God. We must not stray from The gospel message it is what has given us a living hope in Jesus Christ and we must let it be known throughout the world it's the only way that people can come to salvation is through the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's unfortunate that it's not taught as much even in our churches today our churches today have become more about social gatherings social activities and such and less about the preaching of the gospel the preaching of the truth of the word of God because they don't want to offend anybody but the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation it's the only thing that brings someone to salvation so we must not stray from it we must stay firm hold strong to it right so so these Jews that Peter writes to have gone through some very difficult times. He says there in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. So what's he saying? He's saying in that living hope that he just mentioned, in that living hope that we have, in the fact that heaven is reserved for us, he says that's why we rejoice. He says though, for, or though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials. Now, we just finished studying through the book of James, right? And Peter mentions trials here. And what did James say about trials? Well, let's go ahead and turn back there. Turn back to James chapter 1. And here again, James and we'll read it here, but he addresses this letter to the believers that have been dispersed, to the Jews that have been dispersed, right? We'll read in verse 1, James chapter 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So that's who he's writing to as well, right? He says, Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What a way to start a letter, right? Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So what do trials in our lives do? They test our faith. And they produce patience, endurance in us. We, We keep going. We don't throw in the towel these trials if we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord if we keep our eyes in his word will grow stronger through the trials of this life okay so flipping back now to first Peter Peter says of trials in verse 7 he says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying the same thing, basically: faith will make your, or excuse me, trials will make your faith genuine. Our faith is precious. It is so precious that it needs to be tested, in so that it might be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is coming again. And when he does, we need to be found in a strong faith, a faith that has been tried and tested, a faith that produces patience in us and, and causes us to persevere and press on and keep going and not throw in the towel right? A faith that through the trials of this life, that faith becomes genuine. Now, I want to read an article to you here about a little boy that had a very big trial recently in his life. This just happened last week, I believe. Um, It's about a nine-year-old boy in Atlanta, okay? It says, a nine-year-old boy who was kidnapped from his driveway Has told his church how he was freed after singing a gospel song. Police say a man kidnapped then nine year old Willie Myrick from his southwest Atlanta driveway earlier this month. He allegedly drove the boy around for some time before dropping him off unharmed in East Point, Atlanta. uh, The website of 11 Alive reports, that's the local news station there, 11 Alive. Willie says he sang the gospel song every praise until the man let him go after about three hours. Community leaders held a meeting in Willie's honor, celebrating his happy ending, but also telling other parents and children what to do if this happens to them. In front of a crowded sanctuary at Mount Carmel Baptist Church, Willie said while he was singing, the man kept cursing and telling him to shut up before eventually kicking him out. He opened the door and threw me out, Willie said. He told me not to tell anyone. (laughs) Willie's story traveled fast and soon caught the ear of Grammy Award winning gospel singer Hezekiah Walker, the man who performed the song. It's just emotional to me because you never know who you're going to touch. Hezekiah Walker told Eleven Alive. Upon hearing the story, Walker made a decision to fly to New York, to or from New York to Atlanta to meet Willie. And I, he said, I, "I just wanted to hug him and tell him I love him." Walker said. So that's an amazing story there about the the way. To me, the reason I shared it with you, and it's. Kind of the Lord how I just read it this week while studying for this. But it's just amazing to me how, you know, it's an example of how a little boy handled a trial, right? What do you do when you face a trial, right? This was a very difficult trial for this young man, but he endured this trial. And you can bet that through this, his faith became stronger, right? Oftentimes just the smallest of trials cause us to melt under the heat, you know, of just a, a small fire But every trial has a purpose and that purpose is so that our faith can be refined And of course our faith is in Jesus and in Jesus alone But it's just one way to look at how how someone handled a trial a little nine-year-old boy but verse 8 continues and speaking of Jesus says whom having not seen you excuse me who have whom having not seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls you see right now in this very moment in time we rejoice with inexpressible joy right full of glory because of Jesus though we don't even see him we believe in him and we love him for what we know he has done for us and what he continues to do within us but we don't know this joy If we don't continue to walk in faith and I want to stress that that we actually have to walk in faith in other words that word walk means live it out like walk the walk don't just talk the talk actually live it out faith of course we know from Hebrews chapter 11 is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen you see we don't currently see Jesus with our eyes But because of faith, we have hope. Hope in the fact that because of what Jesus has done, heaven is reserved for us, like we read there earlier. So even in the midst of trials, we have to keep pressing on and keep praising God. Jesus has brought salvation. And verse 10 goes on to say here, of this salvation, The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So you see, the prophets of old spent their time trying to figure out when all of this was going to happen because the spirit of Christ was even in them back then telling them it was going to happen, right? When would the Messiah come on the scene? And and, and when would, you know, there was the spirit of Christ that was in them telling them that these things were going to happen, but they didn't, they knew it was for us or that, you know, they, they didn't know who it was for, but it turned out to be for us, right? And they were trying to figure out this salvation that we now know. Verse 12 says, To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Wow. Now, that is a very powerful verse of Scripture right there. Again, the prophets of old were being told way back then about the salvation that would be offered to you and me. And that salvation was, as verse 12 also says, reported to us through those who have preached the gospel to you. And the gospel was and is preached through people by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So do you see that there in verse 12? It's really the work of the Holy Spirit when the gospel is being preached. Today, many churches try to make the work of the Holy Spirit all about a person having some sort of an emotional experience. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to use people to preach The gospel message, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Today, most churches in America, again, they don't even preach the gospel, they don't even bring a Bible into the church. But we have now received a great salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 13 goes on to tell us, therefore, Okay, since you've received this great salvation in Jesus Christ, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is telling us to stay the course, stay focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. Keep walking by faith because Jesus is coming again. And when that time comes, then we're going to actually receive that salvation that we walk by faith in right now, right? And we need to live in a manner that indicates that we are focused on eternity. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Listen. Again, we know that this letter was written to believers, right? These believers are being told here not to conform again to the way they used to walk in the lust of their flesh. All around us every day, believers succumb to lust. Pastors, Bible teachers, Sunday school leaders, and ordinary everyday Christians, right? And any one of us can conform back to the lust of the flesh. So Peter, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit here, warns us through the word of God not to do this. We are to instead, like verse 15 says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Hmm, so wait a minute. Is this really saying that we have to live holy lives can i just live however i want to live since i'm saved by grace listen we are indeed to call called to live in holiness according to scripture we should conduct our lives in holiness holiness is the opposite of conforming to lust and always keep in mind right what titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 13 says you know it says for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age same thing peter just said titus says it right that we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age and what is it that teaches us to live that way? It is the grace of God that brings salvation. Okay? So we can't quote grace and say I can live however I want. I can, you know, live in sin if I want because I'm saved by grace. No, grace doesn't teach you that. Grace teaches you to live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Peter says we are to live In holiness. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. So it does matter how you live. And in 1 Peter 1.16 says, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Notice that. It says that the Father, without partiality, will judge your work. So our works will be judged, okay? So we need to conduct ourselves throughout the time here of your stay here in fear, it says. What's fear? Reverence, okay? Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish or without blemish and without spot. So do you get the gist of all of this? We have been bought at a very high price. It cost Jesus his life and God doesn't show partiality. It matters, right, that we, what the works we do. It matters how we live our lives. We should be living in holiness, right? And they needed, they were told here, hey, you need to live reverently. You need to live in godly fear. And so must we as followers of Jesus Christ, we must be obedient to his word and we must live our lives out on this earth reverently not fulfilling the lust of the flesh but rather being led by the spirit persevering in the faith even in the midst of trials keep going keep pressing on share the gospel with others because it is the power of God unto salvation it is what brings us to salvation and we are to live as examples of righteousness and holiness and still speaking of Jesus verse 20 says he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through or who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So very self-explanatory verses there. Jesus Christ it says was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And through Jesus, we believe in God. And God raised Jesus from the dead, like it says there, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So Jesus opened the way for us back to the Father. Sin separated us from the Father, God. Jesus opened the way to that. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus provided a way for us back to the Father. And when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were born again. And when we're born again, something should have taken place. And verse 22 22 here tells us what that something is. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So when a person truly comes to Christ, when a person is truly born again, they have purified their souls by obedience to the truth. Do you see that there? And do you also see there in verse 22, that this purifying takes place through the Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we discussed last week, we cannot harden our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, this life, trials and things like that, the temptations of the flesh, they want to roll a stone back in front of your heart. Like we talked about last week. So you don't see the risen Lord anymore. You're not living with that hope. You don't see Jesus. You're not drawing closer to him in your walk. The world wants to push you away from him and wants you to turn back to the lust of your flesh. And we have to be careful not to go in that direction. We must not conform to the lust of the flesh. Now, what is it? That causes all of this to take place in our hearts. It is the word of God. Look at verse 22 again here, right? Having been born again, not of uh, corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So this is the way a person is born again. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Again, there's many churches today that are ineffective in our world because they don't even open the Bible. They don't even teach the Bible. Right. But it's the Bible that is going to cause a person to be born again. It's the word of God. And when when the spirit of the Lord fills a church, first of all, he doesn't fill a church he doesn't fill the the buildings right he fills the people and when a people are filled with the spirit the gospel is being preached in that church through that church the word is being taught and people are then born again through the word of god because it's being taught to them and it's all about the work of the spirit it's not about our flesh and what we do as people when we gather right like verse 24 says we understand that because all flesh is as grass all the glory of man as the flower of the grass the grass withers and its flower falls away so it's not about our flesh it's about the spirit and the spirit works through the word of God look at verse 25 but the word of the Lord endures forever Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So what word is Peter talking about here that endures forever? Well, he makes it very clear there in verse 25 that he's talking about the gospel. We must continue in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only word that will save people's souls. That is the only word that will cause people to purify their soul to be born again. And we must first receive that word ourselves, and then we must live in holiness, and then we must teach it to others. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God in our lives, and it's the power of God to those who we share it with as well. And we've seen in this chapter that Peter points out that, yes, trials do come, there is persecution for the one that stands upon the word of God. But this place is temporary anyway. And we are to live our lives, like we see here in this chapter, as pilgrims. We're here amongst a bunch of strangers. Why? Because we've been born again. We're no longer of the world. We now have a living hope. Our focus is elsewhere. We know that heaven is reserved for us and we are keeping our eyes on heaven, and we know we're just passing through. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. Thank you that you have not left us comfortless and alone. You have given us your word, your word of truth. We know that your word is powerful. It is living. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Word. And it does a work within our hearts and within our minds that no other word can. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, is, which has brought us to salvation. And we pray that you will continue the work that you have begun in us. And Lord, that we would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you, that we would continue to purify our souls, that we would not conform to the lust and the temptations. Of this world and of this flesh but rather we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds cause us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you Lord by your spirit again we thank you for this time in your word in Jesus name Amen